chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. As is always the case, if you don't have a Bible, didn't carry one in, there's one there in front of you. I encourage you to pick it up, use it. Unless you're sitting on the front row, then there's not one in front of you. Matthew chapter 20, we're going to read starting in verse number 1. I want to speak to you today on the topic a couple of weeks before Easter. A couple of weeks before Easter. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Again he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour, and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out, and found others standing idle, and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those came who were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and they likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I I wish to give this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first and the first last. For many are called, but few chosen. Now Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. And the third day he will rise again. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Grant that these two uh, sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said to him, We are able. So he said to them, You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two men, two blind men, sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. And the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. But they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. 
So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. Father God, thank you for your word. I pray you would speak to us now as we look at this a few moments at, uh, at, at what took place a couple of weeks before Easter. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts and help us to think about these things. And, and, and more than anything, Lord, I pray that these things would change us, that we would not just hear, we would not just uh, even believe, but, Lord, that we would hear and believe and be changed, uh, conform our lives to what you, what you teach in your word. And so speak to us this day. Fill me with your spirit, Lord. My mind is going all kinds of ways today, and I pray that you'd help me to clarify my own thoughts. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak. I pray, Father, you'd protect me from saying anything I ought not. And uh, help me, Lord, to say anything I should. Just bless this part of our service. We give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are approaching what is arguably the most important week in all of the church calendar. Of course, that's the Easter activities. Next week will be Palm Sunday, and then we'll be celebrating Resurrection Sunday thereafter. And it's always the case, I, I pray and I seek, you know, what, what would the Lord have us to speak about, have me to speak about, uh, on that very, very important service. And, and, and this year, there's another interesting little thing, and that is that we just concluded our series of studies last week on the great stories of the Old Testament. And so that means we have this Sunday right here that's like this whole in, in, my, in my thinking. And so I, I have struggled this week, in the last couple of weeks, trying to think, okay, now what are we going to do uh, on this particular one? And so I got to thinking my, uh, about this, and I realized, you know what, Palm Sunday is the week before Easter. I wonder what happened two weeks before Easter. And so I started looking at that. We read Matthew chapter 20 this morning because I thought perhaps the easiest way to figure that out would be to just back up from Palm Sunday. And if you look at Matthew chapter 21, you see that that's what it's talking about there is Palm Sunday. And so I backed up and I read chapter 20. And here's what we see happened. I don't know that this was exactly two weeks before Easter, but it was the events leading right up to Palm Sunday. And so here's what we saw happen. He healed two blind men in Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 through 34. He taught his disciples about greatness in serving, verses 20 through 28. He taught his disciples about his impending death in verses 17 through 19. And by the way, every time I read those words, I'm amazed at the detail that Jesus knew and predicted about how he was going to be uh, suffering and dying. He taught his disciples about his impending death. He taught his disciples about the kingdom, verses 1 through 16. I didn't just look at Matthew this week. I looked at the other Gospels as well, and I found uh, very much the same truths in them, along with a couple of others that Matthew didn't report. For example, in Mark chapter 10, he spoke with the rich young ruler about his soul. And in Luke chapter 19, he spoke with Zacchaeus about his soul. And again, I, I can't be certain that these were exactly two weeks before, but they were the events leading up, and I think we're probably pretty close at that time. So if we were to ask ourselves the question, what was Jesus doing two weeks before Easter? I think what we see here is that Jesus was doing the exact same things that marked his ministry all the other times, all the rest of his uh, life of ministry. He was teaching, and he was healing, and he was seeking. So in the minutes that remain this morning, I want to think about those three things. A couple weeks before Easter, Jesus was teaching. A couple weeks before Easter, he was healing. And a couple weeks before Easter, he was still seeking. You know, Jesus was always teaching. Do a little Bible study on that sometime. You'll be amazed what you see. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus went about all Galilee teaching 
in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Chapter 5 of Matthew, he opened his mouth and taught them. Chapter 7, he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Matthew chapter 21, now when he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? Matthew 22, they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians saying, teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth. Or do you care about anyone for you do not regard the person of men? Matthew 26, in that hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, daily teaching in the temple, and you did not seize me. Jesus was always teaching. Nicodemus knew that he was a teacher. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher. Come from God. The woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, knew the Messiah would be a teacher. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things or teach us all things as some translations translate that. Jesus taught in the temple, publicly. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught, John tells us. Early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them, John chapter 8. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him for his hour had not yet come. He taught publicly in the temple. He taught his dearest friends one-on-one privately. They knew him to be a teacher. Martha, when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. Lazarus and Martha and Mary, uh, he, he taught them privately and one-on-one. Uh, he himself, Jesus himself, summed up his time on this earth as being involved in teaching. Jesus answered him, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always meet, and in secret I have said nothing. He was always teaching. And his teaching was amazing. His teaching amazed all who heard it. Matthew chapter 7, so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his teaching. We see that mentioned over and over and over. When he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished. Uh, Matthew chapter 22, when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. He amazed everybody who heard him. And he taught in some interesting ways. He taught by parables, taught them many things by parables, and said to them in his teaching, Mark chapter 4 and verse 2. And he wasn't a namby-pamby teacher either. He never hesitated to say what needed to be said. He taught pointedly. He taught boldly. He never shied away from pointing out truth or hypocrisy. Mark chapter 12, he said to them in his teaching, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in log robes, love greetings in the marketplaces. Another place, he said, Woe unto you Pharisees. He taught pointedly. And he taught as one speaking for God. John chapter 7, Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine. My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. He was always teaching. He taught children, and he taught the aged. He taught men, and he taught women. He taught in homes, and he taught in synagogues. He taught in the temple, and he taught in the streets. He taught rich people, and he taught poor people. He taught the socially elite. He taught the socially outcast. He taught rulers. He taught servants. He even taught a dying man on the cross. He was always teaching. And a couple of weeks before Easter, Jesus was teaching. So as I think about this, I have to ask myself a question. How should we respond to that? 
If that is who Jesus was, and that was what he was doing, and that was such an important part of his life, how do we respond to this one who was always teaching? What does a teacher want from us? And, and, and I thought some obvious things. Actually, I thought of three things. I think he wants your ear. He wants for you to listen. If Jesus' teaching was such an important thing, he wants us to listen. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He wants you to hear. He wants you to listen. The teacher wants your mind. He wants you to be convinced. He wants you to believe. There was a day when Jesus taught some particularly difficult truth, and everybody that was listening threw up their hands and, and melted away. They had all they could take. They couldn't listen. And uh, the Bible says from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. And then Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? And Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. That's what he wants. He wants you to hear. He wants you to believe. He wants your mind. Every time I read that and I hear Jesus saying that, will you also go away? I I can imagine the pain that must be in his voice as he's saying it. I can imagine him saying it softly, maybe almost in a whisper. <laughs> Will you guys also go away? The teacher wants your ear. He wants your mind. He also wants your life. He wants your behavior to be modified by what he taught. I've given you all kinds of verses this morning, but I want you to see this one. Turn with me to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Because this one we ought to underline in our Bibles. Luke chapter 6. And we'll look at uh, verses 46 and following. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Jesus said there, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my saying and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against the house and it could not shake it. For it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Look again at just the first verse. Verse number 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? The New Living Translation renders that verse. Why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you won't do what I say? See, he, he wants your ear, he wants your mind, but most of all, he wants your life to be changed by what you hear and what you believe. I, I see it in me. I see it in, in many uh, other believers, or at least professing believers, a tendency to profess belief in the words of Jesus right up to that point where it gets hard to live according to those words. And then we tend to fall away, and we tend to stop Listening. We listen to him when he says, believe and be saved. That's cool stuff. We love that. We listen to him when he says there is a heaven that we can look forward to. Hallelujah. We listen to him when he says that we can pray and ask him for anything. We listen to him when he has all these wonderful promises of good to come for us. But then something comes into our lives that hurts or something that's hard. And he tells us how to get through it. The word of God speaks to us and tells us what we ought to do. But it hurts and it's hard. And so we waver. Perhaps others are telling us something else or something opposite of his teaching. Perhaps the thing that he says for us to do would be hard or painful or will cost. Maybe it will cost us. And so we recoil from it. 
Perhaps our friends and family tell us the opposite, and their way seems easier. Their way seems better. You see, that's these times are when we find out if the teacher has our ear and has our mind and has our life. I lived for some years in another state, the state of New Jersey. I served as an assistant pastor there and the worship leader there for some years. It was a wonderful Baptist church that I served in there. There was a man there who was on fire for Jesus. He was very involved in their, in their uh, ministries there. Uh, he led the, the youth program and, and various other things. I think he was a deacon. Right up until the time when his wife died. Suddenly. And it just, it just upended him. It just, it just did him in. His key completely collapsed and, and, and crashed his faith and, 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 and basically fell away for a period of time. Now, he did eventually come back around and, and I believe is serving the Lord today, but for a period of time there, he was done in by this. And I remember the pastor speaking to him, and here was what he said to the pastor. He said, as the pastor was trying to encourage him to, you know, to continue to trust the Lord through all of this, he said, I've had too many bad things happen to me, preacher. And that was his reasoning. Because these bad things had happened, he wasn't listening any longer. I don't know, maybe you've had some bad things happen. Maybe you used to listen to the words of Jesus, but now something bad is happening and you're listening to other teachers instead. You know, there are plenty of teachers who will jump in when you stop listening to the Lord. Eve stopped listening to the Lord and Satan was right there ready to talk to her, whispering his evil teaching in her ear. See, we need to listen to the words of Jesus, the teacher, especially when things are hard. We, we need to let his words drown out all the other words, especially when it gets hard for that to happen. Those are the times we need his truth most. Well, notice the second thing. Jesus was always teaching. Jesus was also always healing. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Healing. He healed lepers. Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing to be cleansed, and immediately his leprosy was cleansed. He healed the centurion's servant. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way as you have believed, so let it be done to you. And his servant was healed that same hour. He healed withered arms and lame legs. He said to the man, Stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and it was restored whole as the other. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. He healed blind eyes and silent tongues. One was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. He healed many people, many, many, many people of many things. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with the word, and he healed all who were sick. When Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. They begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched it were made perfectly whole. In our text, chapter 20 there of Matthew, we read of his healing two blind men. One of whom, other Gospels tell us, was blind Bartimaeus. Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight. And they followed. Always healing. So how do we respond to that? How do you respond to a healer? What response does a healer want? And I think that one's pretty obvious. I think the healer wants to heal. He wants to heal you. The healer wants you to bring your sickness to him, your disease, your need, your brokenness, your hurt. Why? Because he knows he can fix it. Any doctor wants to heal you because he knows he can. It's interesting to me how often people 
will hear that there is a cure and yet turn away. You ever know anybody like that? Steve Jobs was the founder of Apple Computer. I have his biography on my shelf at home, or one of his biographies, and many written. Steve Jobs was my age. He's dead today, dead from the ravages of cancer, liver cancer, as I recall. In that biography that I have at home, it, it talks about the fact that Steve Jobs was one weird dude. He, uh, he didn't really believe anything that anybody else believed. He didn't eat normal. He didn't bathe. He didn't do any normal things that normal people do. And he didn't really believe in doctors at all. He didn't believe in normal medicine. And so when he was diagnosed with cancer, he went down the trail of every kind of alternative medicine you can think of. He absolutely refused to go and be treated normally. As his disease progressed, he reversed the course on that eventually and realized none of that was working and he was dying. And so then he did finally try to turn to uh, normal medical channels, but it was too late when he died. My dear aunt, who bequeathed to us this beautiful piano. Uh, most of you, uh, some of you know her and, and know, I've mentioned it before, that she died on the same day that my wife died. My wife died of an aneurysm to the brain and my aunt died of cancer. Her name was Vi, but most people knew her as Bud. Her nickname was Bud, and she was Aunt Bud to all of us who knew and loved her. She was diagnosed with cancer one day. And uh, she made a similar choice. She did not want to take any kind of treatment for it at all. Even though she was told multiple times, this is a healable cancer. This can be taken care of. I sat in the doctor's office with her one day. And I don't even remember why I was there. I think they had asked me to go because they figured I'd ask questions. I don't know. But I sat in the doctor's office with her one day and listened to the doctor explain to her that this was completely treatable. That if she would have this treatment, it was, it was one of the cancers that was so easily taken care of. And she said to the doctor, if I don't get the treatment, what will happen? And he said, the cancer will move into your brain and you will die in a very short period of time. And she said, okay. And she got up and walked out. And she would not take the treatment. And, of course, you know what happened. The cancer moved into her brain. And she died. I recall a time when she uh, began to question her decision. And I recall uh, her asking the doctor. I wasn't there at the time I heard this part third hand, but uh, she asked the doctor later on, uh, is it too late? And he said, oh, yeah, the ship has sailed. And she died. And you know the amazing irony of all this is that piano right there is tuned. That piano is tuned every three months by an elderly gentleman who had the exact same cancer and told her it was nothing. He got through it. And he's perfectly fine today and in remission today. And, and she would not listen. Why is it that so many refuse the healing power of the Lord Jesus Christ? And I, I'm not just talking about physical healing. Jesus' healing is not always going to be physical in this life. Sometimes our healing takes place when we get to heaven. But whatever is hurting in our life, whatever, is, whatever need is there, he can meet it. He's the healer. Uh, you know, he's, any brokenness, any pain, any loss, any grief, anything that is wrong in your life, you can give it to Jesus, and he could heal it. He was always healing. And then the third thing, he was always teaching, he was always healing. The third thing, he was always seeking. What was he seeking? Well, he was seeking the lost. 
Luke chapter 19, verse 10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Who was he seeking? He was seeking the one who had gone astray. Matthew chapter 18, what do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray? Does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains and seek the one that is strange? Who was he seeking? He was and is seeking all who are perishing and lost. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Right up until the end, Jesus knew that was his purpose, his primary purpose. He, he was praying in Gethsemane just hours before the cross, and he said, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this very purpose I came to this hour. Paul summed up his ministry. He said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. John gave a similar summation of his ministry. He said, we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Jesus was always seeking, always seeking the lost. Same question, how do we respond to that? How do we respond to that? What does the seeker want? Well, the seeker wants to find you, and the seeker wants to save you. Jesus took a long detour once. He went through Samaria. If you look at a map, there was absolutely no reason for him to go through Samaria. It was, it was crazy. It would be like me saying, I'm going to go to Ravenna, but uh, to get there, I'm going to go through Canton first. It doesn't make any sense. It's the exact opposite direction. But he, he had to go there because he knew there was a woman there who needed to be saved. And he met her at the well, shared the gospel with her. You can read about that in John chapter 4. It's an example to us this morning of how much Jesus cared and cares about individuals. He will go out of his way to seek them. He goes out of his way to seek you. He left heaven to seek you. In his parable of the 99 sheep, he pointed out that he would have done it if only one needed saved. If only you needed saved. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes of all time, he said, when he died in the wounded world, he, did not, he died not for men, but for each man. If each man had been the only man made, he would have done no less. Amazing. Jesus was always seeking, and he is still seeking. One time he looked out over Jerusalem, and he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to you, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. And that's the crux of the whole thing, isn't it? You were not willing. He sought, and he still seeks. He calls out to you the offer of salvation. He's done all the heavy lifting by dying in your place on the cross, by bearing all your sin in the, on the cross, by taking your penalty upon himself so that you could be free from that penalty. And now he holds out his nail-pierced hands and says, I want to save you. Turn to me. Believe on me. Trust me. Receive me as your Savior. And the question is, will you? He says, I offer you salvation as a free gift. All you need to do is accept it. Here it is. Take it. And the question is, William, you will not, he said to Jerusalem. There is a scene that's repeated in many an action movie. You've seen variations of this. It's one of the things Hollywood loves to show. A person falls off of something. Maybe it's a cliff. Maybe it's a tall building. Maybe it's a bridge. 
they're falling to their death and some hero at the very last second dives and grabs hold of them and gets hold of their hand and they're holding them there desperately with one hand. But they can't hold them with just one hand. And so you hear them say over and over, give me your other hand. Give me your other hand. And the person, for whatever reason, can't do it. And, of course, they lose their grip and they plunge to their death. Listen to me. If you have never been saved, my friend, you are falling. And you need to put your hand in the hand of the man who calmed the waters. Put your hand in the hand of the man who calmed the sea because he's seeking you. He seeks you. He has the gift of salvation he wants to give you. And the question is, will you reach out and take it today? So what was Jesus doing two weeks before Easter? He was doing the same thing he had done the three years of ministry up to that point. He was teaching. He was healing. And he was seeking. And so as we close this morning, I would ask you, are you listening to his teaching? And and, and not just listening, not just with your ears, not just with your mind, but are you letting it direct your life even when it's hard? Are you listening to the teacher? And number two, are you seeking out his healing for your hurt and your pain, your grief and your loss, your brokenness, your need, whatever it is? Are you turning to the healer when those things happen in your life? Or are you turning away? And finally, most of all, most importantly, Have you reached out to him when he sought you? He is seeking. Have you received the gift of salvation that he so desperately wants to give you, that he died to give you? Seeking. Well, Father, we're thankful for this few thoughts this morning. I pray that you would help us to think through these things. And, Lord, there's something here for all of us. I I find myself convicted by these things just as much as, as I would hope anybody else would be. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to to listen to the teacher, to go to the healer when we hurt, and Lord, most of all, to uh, to receive the gift that he is uh, so desperately seeking us to give us. I pray today, Father, that if there are those here today who don't know you as Savior, that they would. I pray today if there are those who have never turned their heart and life over to Jesus Christ and said, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, I know I need to be saved, and I know that when you died on the cross of Calvary, you did it for me. If I'd been the only one around, you would have done it for me. Lord, I I pray if there are those like that, that they would turn their life over to you today. They'd say, Lord Jesus, save me. And for Christians here today, Father, I pray if there are those who are going through things, those who are struggling, those who are hurting, they wouldn't run from the healer, they'd turn to him. They wouldn't seek alternatives. They wouldn't listen to other voices, only to his. And I pray, Father, that all of us would be listening to his teaching in every aspect of our life, changed by it. So, Lord, whatever the needs might be, as we sing, as we wrap up our service, speak to our hearts today. Holy Spirit, have your way. If we need to make decisions, Father, as we have this invitation time, as the altar is open and people can come and pray, I pray they would. And I pray most of all, Lord, if there are those who need to be saved, they would step out and come and let someone take the Bible and show them how they can know for certain they're on the way to heaven. And, Father, we thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.